Hello and welcome back to Film Feeder, your weekly hub that gets you up to date with all the newest movie releases. I'm your film chef extraordinaire, Jack Martin, and I'm here to serve up plenty of tasty new offerings that should help you decide what to watch at cinemas or at home. As ever, you can expect a deep look at the many big releases coming to your screens this week in the form of my exclusively curated movie menu, as well as a couple of my insightful and thoughtful reviews for some noteworthy new films. But before I get into this week's episode, I want to let you know that there's going to be a bit of a shake-up of the show's format from here on out. Now that I'm a few episodes into doing this podcast, I've realised I'm probably doing a bit too much all at once, which has left me a bit frustrated and even under a bit of personal pressure, so I've decided to cut back a little bit on the overall structure of this show. The most notable change is that the feature presentation section will now be a separate episode released once a month. This is to ensure that I have enough time to research and properly articulate my chosen subject, rather than just wing it every week, which I was honestly doing for the past ones. And it will also allow me more of a chance to invite special guests on for a balanced discussion, which will make for a more in-depth experience for you, my dear listeners. Now you'll still get weekly episodes, but they will mainly just be reviews and previews, with the occasional special feature like interviews or reacting to major news within the film world, which I feel makes the regular show a bit more focused and straightforward, while I can put a bit more effort into ensuring the feature presentations are worthy enough of their singular focus. And I haven't told you the best part yet, you get to decide what topics I cover each and every month. If you go to patreon.com slash filmfeeder, you can subscribe to one of the four exclusive tiers, where you can suggest and vote on topics for me to cover in the now monthly feature presentation episodes. Now I've got the topics for February and March already sorted, but right now anyone with paid access can vote for what I talk about in April's episode. The four options being a look at the controversial religious epic The Passion of the Christ, which this year is celebrating its 20th anniversary, a filmmaker profile of director Luca Guadagnino, a roundup of the five most essential films featuring actor Kristen Stewart, and a celebration of the iconic Prince Charles Cinema in London's West End. And that's all on top of other perks, like getting episodes a whole 24 hours early, or even being able to submit a question for future regular episodes. So if that is an extra incentive to sign up to my Patreon today, then I don't know what is. So once again, that's patreon.com slash filmfeeder, where you can cast your vote today. So without further ado, let's get right into this week's movie menu. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. So I'll begin, as always, with a look at the movie of the week, which here is director Blitz Bazawule's inspiring musical The Colour Purple, the new adaptation of both the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Alice Walker that was previously turned into a moving drama by director Steven Spielberg, and the successful stage adaptation that featured original music and lyrics by Brenda Russell, Ali Willis, and Stephen Bray. Set in Georgia during the early 1900s, the plot follows a young black woman named Celie, played by former American Idol winner Fantasia Barino, as she suffers many hardships throughout her life, from disturbing abuse at the hands of her father, to her later unhappy marriage to cruel farmer Mister, played by Coleman Domingo. 
But soon, Celie forms some ironclad friendships with her strong-willed daughter-in-law, Sophia, played by Danielle Brooks, and fiercely independent jazz singer, Shug Avery, who's Taraji P. Hansen, both of whom eventually lead her to find personal salvation in her otherwise miserable life. So every week when I do one of these movie menus on the Film Feeder website, I list five reasons why you should be excited for each film, because I believe that every movie should be seen and appreciated by someone, regardless of what its overall quality might be. And that's something I'd like to bring to this show as well, at least when talking about the movie of the week. So here's five reasons why The Colour Purple is worth checking out. Number one, it is a rousing and uplifting cinematic experience, which you wouldn't imagine for a plot with such dark subject matter as abuse and oppression, but director Blitz Bazawule injects life and unexpected joy into several infectious song and dance numbers, many of which might put a spring in your step as they undoubtedly did in the Broadway show. Number two, it's an incredible feature film debut for Fantasia Barino, who I mentioned earlier was previously the winner of the third season of American Idol but also played the lead role of Celie during a brief but memorable run on Broadway, and has been receiving acting nominations left and right at the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild, and BAFTA, though I don't know if she's scored the Oscar nomination just yet, since I'm recording this episode before that particular announcement. Number three, it isn't just Fantasia Barino you have to look out for, as the film has an eclectic supporting ensemble cast with a whole bunch of talented actors and performers, like Coleman Domingo, Corey Hawkins, Ingenue Ellis Taylor, Oscar-winning musicians Her and John Batiste, and Harley Bailey, who last year impressed as the Little Mermaid in Disney's live-action remake. But most significantly, there's Taraji P. Henson, who's firing on all cylinders as the alluring jazz singer Shug Avery, and Danielle Brooks, who has become one of the film's biggest attractions for her utterly ferocious and applause-worthy performance as Sophia, which, like Barino, has also earned her nominations for the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, and the Screen Actors Guild Awards, where the whole ensemble has also been nominated. Number four. Because of its decent showing thus far at several awards shows, there's a slim but no less possible chance that this version of The Colour Purple could take home more Oscars than Steven Spielberg's 1985 adaptation, which famously went in with 11 nominations, including Best Picture, but came home completely empty-handed, giving it the unwanted title of Film with the Most Losses at a Ceremony, a distinction it shares with the 1977 drama The Turning Point. So here's hoping that this new version of The Colour Purple can work up the momentum to take home something on Oscar night, which is more possible than you might think. And number five, at the end of the day, it's a big bombastic musical with plenty of show-stopping numbers, performed with fierce passion by a lively ensemble, and brought to life by some irresistible filmmaking that successfully transports the drama from the stage to the screen with impeccable ease. And who can possibly deny themselves this good a time at the movies? So that's five solid reasons to go and check out The Colour Purple when it arrives in UK cinemas via distributor Warner Brothers on Friday the 26th of January. Moving on now to the week's other cinema releases, and first up is All of Us Strangers, the deeply moving drama from writer-director Andrew Haig, who previously made Weekend, 45 Years, and Lean on Pete, and who here takes inspiration from Taichi Yamada's novel Strangers, Setting his adaptation in modern London where a man named Adam, played by Andrew Scott, lives alone in a mostly empty apartment building, but soon he forms a romantic relationship with his neighbour Harry, who's Paul Meskel. Adam is later drawn back to his childhood home, where as a young boy he lived with his parents Jamie Bell and Claire Foy before their untimely deaths. But upon arriving at his old house, he is surprised to find both of his parents are there, still alive and looking exactly how he remembers them. 
I won't say too much about this film because I've got a review lined up for you later, but this is an extremely powerful and exceptionally acted drama that will not leave a dry eye in the house. And you can see exactly why that is when Searchlight Pictures opens the film on Friday the 26th of January. A slight change of pace now for the next film on this week's movie menu, it's Jackdaw, the tense new action thriller from writer-director Jamie Childs, which tells the story of Jack Dawson, played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, an army veteran and former motocross champion who is struggling to support himself and his younger brother Simon, played by Leon Harrop. In a moment of desperation, Jack agrees to pick up a package in the North Sea for a dangerous crime boss, but soon he faces a number of dangerous consequences over the course of a single night, where he runs into all sorts of mysterious characters played by the likes of This Is England's Thomas Turgoose and former Doctor Who star Jenna Coleman. It's got action, suspense, and the odd bit of motocross riding too, so make sure you check out Jackdaw, distributed by Vertigo Releasing, in cinemas from Friday the 26th of January. Horror fans will be ecstatic to know that this week also brings Baghead, a terrifying new supernatural thriller from distributor Studio Canal that sees director Alberto Corredo adapt his short film of the same name into a feature that stars Freya Allen of The Witcher as a young woman who inherits a rundown pub after her estranged father Peter Mullen dies. Quickly, she and her friend Ruby Barker, of Bridgerton fame, discovers that the property also comes with a demonic presence in the basement, a shape-shifting creature that can take the form of the dead for a short amount of time, after which it could unleash plenty of horrific chaos, something that is made complicated by the unexpected arrival of a grieving man played by Jeremy Irvine. With its unpredictable story and creepy atmosphere, not to mention a balanced mix of practical and visual effects to bring the monster of the title to life, you can expect Baghead to be a memorable horror experience to close out January with, when it opens in cinemas once again on the 26th. Next, from distributor Curzon, we have Samsara, an unusual experimental film from the mind of Spanish filmmaker Lois Patino, which is set within the temples of Laos, where a group of young monks gather to accompany the soul of an elderly woman from its current host into the next, which so happens to be a baby goat all the way in Zanzibar. This one is quite peculiar, as not only does it explore the spiritual realm within the Buddhism religion through a series of inventive and artful shots, but the film also invites the viewer to experience the sensory journey of the soul for themselves, which involves asking them to close their eyes for a period of time and letting the imagination do the work for them, in a bold interactive move that makes this truly unlike anything you've ever experienced in a cinema. So if you're up for something meditative and spiritually complex, check out Samsara when it comes to cinemas on the 26th. Now you might remember from the start of the year me talking about Sky Cinema's jovial comedy Arthur's Whiskey, which saw a group of middle-aged friends discovering an anti-aging elixir that transformed them into their younger selves. Well, imagine if that same concept was far less wacky and more emotionally driven, and you'd have something along the lines of Forever Young. This is director Hank Pretorius's drama that stars Diana Quick as a struggling 70-year-old writer who, whilst living in retirement in an idyllic English village, is introduced to a groundbreaking new age-reversing drug, which she takes in a leap of faith and is soon, of course, transformed into her younger self, played by Amy Tiger, sending her on a path that's more transformative than she at first realises. It comes with a host of intriguing themes and ponderous questions, not to mention supporting turns by British thespians like Julian Glover and Lord of the Rings veteran Bernard Hill, and it might be an ageless gem itself when it arrives in cinemas on the 26th.
Then from Dazzler Media comes the religious biopic Padre Pio, written and directed by Abel Ferrara, the acclaimed filmmaker responsible for underground hits like Bad Lieutenant, The Driller Killer, and King of New York, and who now turns its focus onto the spiritual life and times of the Italian priest who became known for his unwavering faith and mystical stigmata. Playing the saintly figure in the film is Shia LaBeouf, who has a very powerful connection with this film, as his experiences on set whilst immersing himself into the character, which include residing in a Capuchin monastery and several other locations that the real Padre Pio himself was said to have occupied, inspired the troubled actor to convert to Catholicism after production wrapped. Which, no matter what your opinions on Shia LaBeouf might be, is an inspiring instance of faith reigning triumphant. You can see the actor's life-changing performance for yourselves when Padre Pio from filmmaker Abel Ferrara comes to UK screens on the 26th of January. The last cinematic release on this week's movie menu is another odd one, blending both documentary and absurdist fiction into an unusual piece known as This Blessed Plot, the film from distributor Verve Pictures that sees filmmaker Mark Isaacs tell the story of a young Chinese filmmaker who travels to the historic Essex village of Thaxted in search of a new subject for her film, and she soon encounters some of the eccentric locals who introduce her to English folklore and spirituality, as well as a number of ghosts from the past. For its more dramatised scenes, Isaacs uses a cast made up entirely of local non-professional performers, while also tapping into Thaxted's rich cultural history, including its use as a key location in Paolo Pasolini's adaptation of Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, as a basis for the parts that are considered more documentarian, creating a film that is certainly unique in its blending of fact and fiction, enough to where you might just come away from it with a whole new appreciation for the strange and endearing culture embedded deep within England's roots. Once again, that's This Blessed Plot, a Verve Pictures release that comes to select cinemas across the country on the 26th of January. And finally, there's only one major streaming release to spotlight this week, and it's Prime Video's new sports comedy, The Underdogs, with two Gs. And that's because the film not only stars Snoop Dogg, but also comes from an original pitch by the rap legend himself, who's also credited as a producer under his real name, Calvin Broadus. Directed by Charles Stone III, who's no stranger to directing sports movies like Drumline and Mr. 3000, The Underdog stars Snoop as former professional American football star Jason Jennings, who hits rock bottom and is sentenced to community service, where he is tasked with coaching an unruly team of young football players in his hometown. And as he inevitably gets the team into winning shape, he also ends up rediscovering his passion for the sport. Sure, it might sound like a conventional sports comedy, but with Snoop Dogg on board, not to mention blackish creator Kenya Barris also credited as producer, it's bound to bring some style to this light-hearted and well-intentioned ride that should score a nice touchdown when it comes to Prime Video on Friday the 26th of January. So that's my roundup of this week's film releases, and I really hope that it's given you a clearer and unprejudiced idea of what's coming your way either in cinemas or at home, which is and always will be the goal for this section of the show. But now it's time to give my less neutral opinions on a couple of brand new releases as we move on now to my ever-filling reviews. I've only got two reviews for you today, but one of them is an absolutely unmissable event that you should go and check out at your earliest convenience. That film being writer-director Andrew Haig's All of Us Strangers. 
To briefly recap the plot, it's set in London, where Andrew Scott's Adam is a screenwriter who lives alone in a new build block of flats, where he appears to be one of only a handful of residents in the building. But he soon makes a connection with his neighbour Harry, who's Paul Meskell, which quickly leads to a much more intimate relationship, through which we learn a bit more about Adam's past, including that when he was a boy, both of his parents, played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, were killed in a car accident, which is something that Adam is clearly still contending with, to a point where he frequently travels to his old childhood home in Surrey, where to his surprise his parents, looking no older than the day they died, welcome him with open arms. So the film is obviously playing with a bit of a supernatural theme, which includes a play on the whole they've been dead this whole time twist that The Sixth Sense popularised. But while that particular device is more often than not a last-ditch resort for writers who are desperate to insert some kind of dramatic stinger into their stories, even if it's at the expense of its own plausibility, this is one of those rare cases where Haig puts this device to incredibly powerful use, in a way that allows him to explore the ghostly corridors of loneliness and grief with unprecedented profundity. The filmmaker slowly brings the viewer into an interesting state of magical realism, with Andrew Scott's Adam clearly experiencing a supernatural situation, with ghostly figures who are unmistakably his late mother and father, looking and acting exactly how he remembers them from when he was a child, and their ghostly presence is a source of comfort for Adam rather than one of fear or remorse, with them, or most likely him imagining them, lending some warm and even tearful retrospectives on their short time together as a family, for which Haig's writing goes to some hard-hitting places and order to convey. It is a testament to Haig's strength as both a writer and a director on this film that the narrative gimmick never comes across as cheesy or contrived, and instead allows for the viewer to get inside the mind of its deeply troubled protagonist to explore his inner feelings of sorrow and loneliness that are beautifully and heartbreakingly honest in their execution, which can make the film an emotionally tough watch, but in the best way possible, because it gets into some tender themes that are destined to feel like an absolute gut punch on impact, but even when it seems like it's beginning to lean over the edge and dive headfirst into pure melancholy, it manages to pull itself back with a grounded approach that can often be quite funny. Like at one point, Adam has a conversation with his mother's ghost about the fact that he is a gay man, and since she died around a time when homosexuality was nowhere near as accepted as it is today, her attitude to her adult son's news is hilariously in line with the typical parent's response from around that period. Though Haig never manages to disrupt the overall tone with its lighter moments, keeping the focus purely on the psychological and paranormal journey of self-acceptance that Adam is going on during virtually every scene of the film, with the filmmaker knowing exactly when to bring out the heavy artillery with certain sequences that may well have you reaching for the tissues. So much of the emotion that leaps right off the screen is made possible by an excellent quartet of lead actors who all give some of their best ever performances underneath Haig's direction, including Andrew Scott, who is truly magnificent in a role where he brilliantly conveys his character's isolation through the smallest of inflictions, in addition to nailing his far more emotional scenes to where you almost want to reach into the screen and just give this guy the biggest hug you can give. And meanwhile, he has very good romantic chemistry with Paul Meskell, whose mysterious presence makes him a potential wildcard for events later on. Andy shares an equal amount of tenderness with both Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, who are both deeply effective as the kind of parents you always wish that you had, outdated 80s mannerisms aside. The combined performances generously lend plenty of emotion to Haig's narrative, which makes all of us strangers feel so much more powerful than it already is, especially for someone like myself, having been trapped in personal feelings of loneliness quite a few times in my life. 
So I found this movie to be extremely poignant, as it taps into that never-ending fear of eternal isolation, as well as the upsetting distress surrounding it, and doing so in a way that is never forceful or beyond the realm of possibility, and always feeling real, even with its supernatural form of magical realism, and with plenty of emotional residue. It's by far Haig's strongest overall film, with the perfect balance of steady direction and grounded writing to zoom it past the finish line, which is enough for me to grate all of us strangers the full five stars, which equates to top quality cuisine that you should order tickets for as soon as it goes on general release from Friday the 26th of January. My second and last review for you this week is the big release from last week, which is Mean Girls, the all-new rendition of the 2014 classic and its subsequent stage musical adaptation, all of which are written by Tina Fey, with this version still showing in cinemas nationwide as of this episode, and I've certainly got some things to say about it, but not necessarily what you might expect. The plot of this version of Mean Girls, from directors Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr., is more or less the same as in the original, as Katie Heron, played by Angori Rice in the Lindsay Lohan role, begins attending North Shore High School, having previously been homeschooled by her mother Jenna Fisher whilst living in Africa. But Katie quickly finds herself unable to fit in among her peers, except for fellow outcasts Janice and Damien, played respectively by Oli'i Cravalho and Jaquel Spivey. Soon, Katie is drawn to the clique of popular girls known as the Plastics, led by Regina George, as played by Renee Rapp, who previously played the role on Broadway, and filled by her lackeys Gretchen Wieners and Karen Shetty, played respectively by Bebe Wood and Avantika, all of whom she is initially warned against, especially the conniving and cruel Regina, who at first Katie has no problem with, but after witnessing Regina's backstabbing firsthand when she gets back together with her ex and Katie's new crush, Aaron Samuels, played by Christopher Briney, she teams with Janice and Damien for a plot to infiltrate the plastics and ruin Regina's social standing, but at the risk of Katie becoming just as vapid and two-faced as Regina herself. As I mentioned in last week's episode, the 2004 original truly has become a timeless classic of teen cinema, with its bottomless supply of quotable and endlessly memed lines, memorable characters, and heightened social commentary about high school society, all of which is something that just about anyone can relate to at any point in their lives and during any particular time period. At first glance then, this new version of the film should have no valuable reason to exist. I mean, sure it's technically adapting the stage musical instead of remaking the film proper, but what could it possibly add to this story 20 years after it first became a story? After all, everything that could possibly have been said was perfectly summed up back in 2004, so other than cynically trying to cash in on its popularity 20 years later, there's little point in trying to update it in any way. However, as it turns out, Mean Girls circa 2024 does have something of value to offer, and it's precisely the fact that it's now 2024. There's been such an advancement in teen behaviour over the last 20 years, not least of all the embedment of social media in our lives, that the original film's themes of status and notoriety within the cutthroat world of high school are more relevant now than even in 2004, and it's interesting to imagine how characters like the ever-cruel Regina George, played so memorably by Rachel McAdams in the original, might use modern online platforms like TikTok and Instagram to maintain their image and publicly vilify others, most of which are genuine points of discussion that the new film does indeed address, which against all odds gives it more than enough reason for being. I will say though that with its identical plot, not to mention its numerous close recreations of notable scenes and iconic lines of dialogue from the original, this version of Mean Girls often teeters close to being a redundant remake. 
But while some of the lines are given a more modern twist, few of the newer editions carry as much genuine laughter as the original versions did 20 years ago. And furthermore, aspects of Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr.'s filmmaking are noticeably more televisual here than the further reaching direction that Mark Waters originally brought, which is almost certainly because this film was originally destined for Paramount Plus before being upgraded to a theatrical release, but either way it's not quite as stylistically witty or even as memorable as what came before. Most of the time you are just reminded of how much better the original was, but it's whenever the character starts singing that the film takes on a more noticeable sense of life, with the songs themselves, which contain music and lyrics provided respectively by Jeff Richmond and Nell Benjamin, being quite catchy and upbeat, not to mention rather funny at times. And even the filmmaking becomes a bit more ambitious, particularly with its numerous aspect ratio changes during the shift between musical numbers and reality, with it going from a regular 1.85 by 1 scene to a widescreen showstopper, while other sequences employ one-shot techniques and an intricate camera work that, at times, you wonder how they were able to pull it off without doing any noticeable damage to equipment. I also really admire the passion and energy within the vocals and choreography of the film's performers, including Angori Rice and the deeply charming duo of Ali'i Cravalho and Jaquel Spivey. And while nobody can hold a candle to the iconic performance of Rachel McAdams as Regina George, Renee Rapp comes awfully close as she wisely leans more into the character's self-assured coolness to convey her nastiness rather than just doing an impression of Rachel McAdams, which gives the role a fresh enough spin while still feeling true enough to how the character was originally written. Most of all, it is the employment of more modern tools within teen society that gives this version of Mean Girls its purpose for existing, as throughout there are montages of fellow students, and also for some reason Megan Thee Stallion, sharing and reacting to various incidents on TikTok and Instagram, among other platforms, that rapidly ruin people's reputations, to where someone like Regina or even Katie perhaps never even needed to do anything at all to ruin the other person's clout. Now this inclusion adds a thoughtful new layer of social commentary to the story, one that intriguingly positions social media and its wavering influence as a potentially crueler presence in this high school world than Regina George herself, for it suggests that the power of online mockery is a far greater thing to be afraid of than just being mocked in person, especially in an age where social media dictates who or what is trendy at any given moment, which is honestly quite a smart play by Tina Fey and her fellow filmmakers to bring this into the mix, for not only does it update Mean Girls for a more modern audience, but it plays around with newer narrative devices that hadn't even been invented in 2004, further solidifying the timelessness of this particular story. So it may occasionally fall victim of being a less memorable version of the original classic, but through its upbeat musical identity and tackling of modern teen issues, Mean Girls circa 2024 ultimately solidifies the fact that when it comes to the original's endless relatability, the limit does not exist. So I'm giving it four stars, which equates to a dish you'll be hungry for more of. And with that, another episode of Film Feeder comes to a close. Thank you so much for sticking around, and I hope that our time together has inspired you to go and check out just some, or even just one, of the many releases out this week. I'd appreciate it if you left a strong review for this podcast on whichever platform you may be listening to it on, in addition to following it or subscribing so that you can be notified of new episodes every week. And please do share it with anyone you feel may need a film fix of their own. You can also find us on various social media channels, all of which you can find in the episode description. And once again, I'd like to encourage you to go to Filmfeeder's Patreon page at patreon.com filmfeeder, where you can get podcast episodes before anywhere else, and where you can also vote on the topics of special feature presentation episodes over the next few months.
And of course, don't forget to visit the Film Feeder website itself at www.filmfeeder.co.uk, which is the only place where you can find all of my written content, including reviews and weekly previews from the past 10 or 11 years up to the present day. So that's all I have for you this week, and I hope to see you again in seven days' time, when I'll be looking at some epic spy capers, eye-opening Oscar contenders, and much more. Until then, I'm Jack Martin, your film chef extraordinaire, ready to whet your movie appetite each and every week. That's all for now. See you next time.